We all have experienced it. Most people endure this emotion easily, starting a new job, moving to a new city, the speed dating we signed up for, or the pressures of starting a family. We ask ourselves what will happen and worry about outcomes because the future is indeterminate and can change on a whim because of seemingly innocent and benign events. But for some of us, anxiety is a dark, emotionless beast that looms around the corner waiting to tear us apart. His pervasiveness and tenacity are never ending, screaming the worst case scenarios at us and never letting a positive thought boil to the surface. Those who have never experienced an attack of anxiety this punishing will never know the debilitating and immobilizing effect that it has on life. Today, we talk to a man who has experienced this monster up close and wants to share his story with the world so others can learn to escape the tyranny of its grip. Brian Sachetta is an expert on anxiety and is the author of the Get Out of Your Head book series. So Brian, what made you want to write this book series? It's a good question, Paul. Um, you know, I think a lot of it just comes down to what you talked about in terms of personal experience, right? Going through about 10 years worth of I don't know if I'd say debilitating anxiety, but difficult anxiety and eventually making some progress with the condition. And just, I think, you know, one of the things that I say on a lot of shows like these is, is basically when you have something that consumes you, right? If, if your mental health consumes you, if, if anxiety consumes you and you deal with it in an immense way for a long period of time, it, it just gets integrated into your soul and into your psyche and into your DNA. Right. And it becomes a part of you. And then, I don't know, you fast forward a, a certain amount of time and you say, I've helped myself, I've healed myself, I've you know, allowed myself to make progress with this condition. It becomes a really, really emotional thing. Uh, for me, I turned around and I said, you know, given all of that stuff, uh, you know, everything that I just said, it's like, I really feel as though I have a story worth sharing. I feel as though you know, I've talked to enough people who have suffered through this thing that yeah, maybe I'm not going to help every single person on the planet, but I know that I can help a few of them. I might be able to, I might even be able to help a significant number. Right. And it's like all of those things combined to just give me some sort of irrational confidence, or at least put me on this mission to want to help other people. And so writing the book, starting the brand, you know, writing blog posts, getting on podcasts like this one, that was exactly what went into, um, you know, that's the thought process behind, uh, doing all those things. And then also some of the emotion that drives that decision-making. Nice. So you said something that made me think I've, I've always had this mantra that I've been harping on for years and that it's garbage in garbage out. If you surround yourself with negativity, you're going to be negative. If you surround yourself with positivity, you're more than likely going to be positive and, and garbage in garbage out, I think really does encapsulate how, uh, how someone can change their life. Uh, and it, cause if you're only thinking about anxiety and things that cause anxiety, then you're never going to get out of being anxious and upset. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, right? Is the, the specific thing I want to harp on there is what you said is if all you're focused on is anxiety, that's kind of all you're ever going to experience. Yeah. That, that is a really, really important part. Um, 
of the healing and of the journey. I think that, and you know, I'm, I'm really not trying to put anybody in a bad light or talk poorly about any, anybody no, else we, in, we know better. in the space, but there is definitely some content out there um, in the anxiety space that basically says like, you have to go to war with your anxiety. You have to, you know, ask it for more, say anxiety. I am better than you. Like bring it on. And it's like, dude, no, yeah, that's, that's a way to put that's, yourself through serious hell, man. That's just the opposite of what you want to do. Bring it on. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Let's fight. Well, okay. Like, so now all you are is an expert at being, uh, you know, dealing all, all you are at that point is an expert at dealing with negative stuff. Exactly. By using negative thoughts. Yes. And it's one of those things, right? I, I talk about um, how counterintuitive anxiety can be where, you know, that approach that I just talked about, it's like from a rational standpoint, it would sort of make sense to be like, I have this problem. Let me think of everything I can do to solve it. Let me push through it. Right. Um, that sounds great. It's like, yeah, we'll, we'll go to war with it and we'll kill it. But you you deal with it long enough. And honestly, it doesn't even have to be that long, a month, six months, something like that. Very quickly, you realize that that strategy does not bear the fruits that you want. You realize that all you're really doing is making yourself more anxious, more tense in the process. And so it's like the counterintuitive part of um, that perspective is like, rather than saying like, you know, I'm, I'm an anxiety warrior. It's like, dude, drop it as best you can. Like, think about something completely different, go yeah. on a, a, you know, do a 180 and go on a totally different path. Um, and it, you know, I think another thing there, which is, um, can be difficult for folks to swallow is like that the approach that I just mentioned, where it's like you do a 180 and you're like, I'm all the way over here, not thinking about anxiety. Some people would look at that. And, and again, I'm not like, I'm not trying to like, I'm not subtly like pointing at anyone. I'm not, um, I think it's more like, you know, in our, um, you know, for men, especially, right. We, we look at like, um, you know, you look at mas masculinity, right? And it's like, oh, a masculine person like confronts all their problems and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, if I were to say, I'm just going to do a 180 and look away from anxiety, some people would look at that and say like, that is being, you know, cowardly or something like that. And it's like, okay, I could understand how maybe you would have that reaction. Right. But most anxiety is made up and false. You know, I mean, you, you, you I'm, I'm one of the worst at thinking of, Unfortunately, being smart comes with its comes with its downside, and that oh, is you can logically look at anything and see all the outcomes for the most part. I mean, there's always there's always variables, but you can, for the most part, see what the outcome's going to be, and you can think of well, if the perfect thing happened, I'm going to win the lottery and buy, drive a Bentley and, and, you know, whatever, travel the world. And the negative part is, is that I've got no money and I'm living on the street and I'm having to beg for people to help me. And well, I guess as humans, which is, you know, the study has proved there's, there's white papers on this as humans, we are designed to, notice the negative emotions faster because that keeps us alive when we're hunting against uh, a cougar who's also hunting the same elk that we are, you know, cause the cougar's like, Oh, well, you know, I can't get the elk, but I can eat him. So, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, that's yeah, the, uh, how we're wired. So anxiety is exactly. always with you. I mean, you're always thinking about the negative and, but what, what is the middle road that you can accept? And if you can accept that middle road, I have always felt that if you could accept that middle road, then, you know, it's not 
the perfect scenario, not the perfect outcome, but you know, you're not missing any limbs or toes and nobody's stolen all your money, but you're kind of a little bit better Yeah. Then that's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's more than likely as long as you stay positive and try to try to try to, to do the right thing. That's what's going to happen. And, and it's like one of the biggest things that I always know is that uh, 1% increments of increasing betterment is the typical and what should be expected and what we should be shot for, not the 900% I'm going to now drive my cigarette boat into Miami Harbor and smile at the chicks. That's not going to work. You know, it's not, that's not the right goal, man. So how do you handle a situation? Some people in life have had lots of, unfortunately, bad crap happened to them and repeatedly and repeatedly. And they feel like that, they, yeah. you know, that, that they, how do you, you and I are actually some of the best examples of that. Well, <laughs> probably, but I was like, how do you, these people get using one of your brand terms out of your head for those people that that's all they know. How can you help someone who that's all they know have a positive yeah. outlook? And so Andrea and I both are up against this because she's had some pretty terrible relationships and I've had some terrible relationships and I just accepted the fact years ago that I wasn't going to find anyone who loved me and I married a woman and stayed with her for 20 years because that's what I was supposed to do. It's what I'm supposed to do. Tried to make the best of it, but she's a complete moron. Anyway, another podcast altogether. But, um, you know, like this morning, Andrea is making breakfast. She's at my house and she's making breakfast and she's smiling and she's talking and she's helping me write. And as I'm sitting here writing the opening, she walks by me and she pats me on the back and tells me she loves me. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm living in a freaking dream because I cannot, I, I couldn't fathom so what she's saying is, is, is what we're experiencing us together, her and I, we, I can't fathom being treated so nice. And I looked at her and said, I've never been treated so nice in my life. And for me, it, it it's like, I don't, it's so foreign. I don't understand it almost. So that, that's what she's saying. Because both of us are kind of in that boat is like, how in the world can we ever, hopefully we never get used to it, but it, you know, how in the world can this ever be the norm when everything is so bad in our past? It's just been struggle after struggle after struggle and negativity after negativity. How in the world is, is someone supposed to pull out of that who doesn't have the tool set that Andrea and I do to be able to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. It is a tough one. I think that you know, one of the approaches that are like how I want to approach the question. So I, I guess I'll restate it, right? Is how does somebody that has actually experienced a lot of difficulty in their past get out of their head? How do they avoid anxiety when, you know, their brain is telling them that like there's so much danger on the horizon waiting for them again? It, it's definitely like I don't have a clear cut answer. It's it's difficult. I think one of like the the, the main approach is basically to look at the question and say, look, uh, basically what we are asking is how do people who have endured traumas, maybe not capital T trauma, maybe, but maybe capital T trauma. Yeah. I don't know. Um, how it's, do those people with that get getting into it? Andrea has, she's, she's yeah. experienced a capital T trauma. Yes. I have not. I've had a really good life, honestly. And I have to tip, remind myself of that. That's how I beat my anxiety. I remind myself how good a life I had. Well, but, that's great. Yeah, that's great too. 
Um, I, you know, the, the trauma stuff is difficult because it's like that stuff is woven into our bodies, right? It's like it's you know, our brainstem. It absolutely is. And it's like every time that we go to do the thing that reminds us of what happened in the past, all those emotions come back. Right. So it's like, oh, you know, I had these abusive relationships and now I'm seeing this person who seems like an awesome guy. Right. Oh, wait a second. My brain is telling me that this person is going to do the same exact thing that my other, you know, my previous relationships did in the past that caused me all this hurt. That is so challenging. Um, th th there's not really like a, you know, you can't, I, I'm a positive person, but I, I, you know, I'm also a realist. I don't think you can just state a mantra and be like, Hey, my trauma, you know, 20 year old traumas that have been with me forever are all of a sudden gone. Um, dealing with trauma is really difficult. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of introspection. I mean, that's, you know, that's exactly why, you know, uh, so many people go to therapy. We all have been through a lot of difficult things in our lives. Um, there are a lot of different modalities, right? It's like, we could go to talk therapy. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that I advocate any single one of these more than another, but I'm just kind of listing some of the things So we could go to talk therapy. Um, you know, some people are on medication for some of the things that they've been through in the past. Some people go on psychedelic retreats to sort of go inside of themselves oh, yeah. and see That's like, you know, thing. Yeah. exactly the, the, the traumas that they've uh, kept locked away and, and sort of see if maybe like they can confront them or look at them in a different uh, fashion. Uh, I have been on one of those retreats myself. So it's like, I have a little bit of experience of like knowing what that can be like, um, both for myself and some Psilocybin, of the Psilocybin, is that what, is that the one you took? Uh, I didn't take that one. So that, yeah. So that would be like, you know, the, the street name there is magic mushrooms. Yeah. Um, but that one, yep. That's a popular one. So they, yeah. There's I, a I, whole lot of research going into that right now because it's in a lot of people, it's correcting whatever is going on. And it's weird that they would do that. How does that Absolutely. work? I've not, this is something new to her, but yeah, it's cutting edge science. They're actually drug companies are, are, and scientists at universities are studying this hard because so psilocybin is even, even the dreaded Dr. Jordan Peterson is like, well, that might not be a bad thing. But how do you do it in a controlled environment? So uh, the, the answer is like, you can, um, you squirrel. definitely should. We've, you we've absolutely hit our first should. squirrel, by the way. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for folks listening, right. It's like, here's, here's the problem is, you know, with a lot of drugs, right. It's like, Somebody takes them, whether it's 40 years ago or whatever, somebody takes them in a dorm room and dies. And all of a sudden it's like, these things need to be illegal forever. Um, you know, we can't have people doing these things. Now there's starting to be a little bit more space for people to come back and say like, hey, you know, there's there's scientific studies going on where people go to doctor's office, yeah. uh, offices and they, you know, they take these things in a controlled environment. Um, if you are listening, you're interested in some of these substances, the only thing I can say is you like, please, please take them in a controlled environment. Yes. Set and setting are so important with these things where you could have 100%, 1000% different experiences just because you're in the wrong environment with yes. the wrong people. Yeah. So and, that's really, really important. And the physical concerns are also there too. Because for me, uh, marijuana, for example, with me causes me to convulse and vomit. I'm highly allergic to it. Wow. So I am, it could kill me if I, if I wasn't supervised. And so the two times I tried it, it happened really vigorously badly. And I was in the shower like, oh, I'm going to die. I guess for me. <laughs> I had to have somebody come. We had to have, we almost, they almost called the, uh, the ambulance on wow, me. But I'm like, just so wait. Just, I'm like, just, it sucks. And I keep puking, but it's okay. Just wait. It'll go away and I'll be fine. I guess for me, when I, 
I hear that. I just think my nursing brain goes to all of my experience of working in the ER and the ICU and seeing these people come in on these substances and for lack of a better term, they're freaking crazy and they're hard to control and they're- Most of your experiences are PCP and crank and crack and things like that. I've had a couple patients on mushrooms and they were like, it was- losing their mind. Losing their mind because- for whatever, however, did it in the wrong setting, wrong setting. And yeah. God bless the nurses who have to do that. Cause it's stressful. <laughs> I'm afraid yeah. I would get, I'm afraid I would die because I'm so allergic to everything. I mean, I'm highly allergic to wood for crying out loud. So I'm, wow. yeah, cat scratches me and it's like, I've been uh, attacked with acid. You probably was, you you just know. need to live in a bubble. I'm I know. I, I do. I need to, John Travolta. I need to do that. Yeah, so. I think I, I think kind of to answer the question, right, is like, number one, if you are interested in these things, I'm just going to reiterate this. Make sure to do it in a controlled setting. Make sure to, you know, if, if you're going to a specific facility, follow all the directions. I mean, yeah. it's 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 so like, you know, one of one of the difficult things with the sort of transmission of stories, right, is like. Uh, you know, we, we, Andrea says, um, I used to see these people all the time in the ER and they did mushrooms. And it's like, look, I, I can't discount the fact that that happened. Right. Those, right. those are real stories at the same time. Um, that story makes its way through hundreds of people. And then all of a sudden it's like it's magic t- mushrooms are the devil. In yeah, your yeah, that's it's true. The telephone game. That's what it is. That is exactly. true. I mean, well, I guess for lack of a better term, marijuana used to be like a big, big taboo thing. Now we're actually using it for medicinal purposes for people with anxiety yeah. or people, you know, with cancer patients, you can get a card. So it's, there's, unfortunately, the people with the bad stories is what causes a lot of things. Well, to have the Car- it's not the people with the bad stories. It's the Karens. It's the Karens that ruin it for everyone else. True. <laughs> I guess for Karen's me. Karen's in the chads. So how does this work? Do you like check into a room and you're given this stuff by somebody and you're, how does Huge it, tangent. He's not an expert on this. You I'm know just that, right? curious as to yeah, like, so, how so does every, this work? Every facility is going to be different and every, you know, depending on the journey that you're going on, depending on what, what substance you're taking, that's going to be different too. Different True. lengths of time. True. Um, different emotions that are going to come up, different parts of the experience like visuals and whatnot um you know just to give like something that's more concrete that we could talk about right there's a place in orlando uh florida called soul quest and they have a religious exemption that allows people to go down there and do a supervised um journey on this drug called ayahuasca so that comes from oh, yeah. you know, uh the amazon basically it's a couple different roots that come together they make a tea um it's it's one that ha- like one of one of the ingredients is a psychedelic itself the other ingredient basically has, um, they're called M- MAOIs, which are basically, I forget what MAO stands for, but the I is, is an inhibitor. Um, so basically there's like, there's a lot of MAOs in our body and um, the the part like the MAOI, the, the inhibitor part makes it so that when we consume that, uh, MAOs are inhibited from, you know, basically, uh, you know, getting absorbed into our bloodstream, our brains, that sort of thing. And that allows the actual like um, psychoactive substance to become active and, uh, to, you know, actually take us on this journey. Um, so you need both of those pieces to, you know, actually have, uh, the psychedelic experience. And, and so it, basically I've heard some stories, uh, cause I've, I've listened to the, to a lot of psychological podcasts and things like that. I talk about psychological being and well being and things like that. I prefer the ones that are more technical, more scientific based. 
And there was a guy on one of them that, and I can't remember right now because I didn't prepare to talk about this. I'm so, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent. I was like, I've never heard of this, but your answer to your question was um, monoxidine oxidized inhibitor. Thank you. Sorry, I have a nurse in me. I had no, to look I it up. That. We no, call it MOEI inhibitors, and I just know that if you're anyone's taking antidepressants, can't yep. take both. You can't take both. Correct. They always ask Absolutely. you that question, it, it and could it could kill you. It or could, send you in a psychotic episode, and you could kill somebody. If I remember correctly, I think it interferes with a lot of medications. But anyways, go on talking. No, MOEIs interfere with almost every medication. You can't take. Tylenol, I think, and on an and, and an MAOI at the same time. It's an old drug. We don't typically give it anymore. Yeah. Yes, but so you know, I, I got a couple pieces. I'll get back to the journey itself, but um, you know, so you go to this place, uh, and there are different facilities around the U.S., around the world. Um, you know where. People are supervising you while you do this. They're they're putting this ritual together, right? There's music. Um, there's uh, I, I don't know what you want to call it, but like there are rituals that they perform before you actually do the ceremony, right? You do like a smoke bath and um, you say some prayers and stuff like that. So it, it is a a cultural and almost like religious process. Um, but the um, you know so one one of the parts of the process and what they really stress is like before you get there, you have to do a lot of work. You yeah. have to. Number one, fill out this big, big survey that says, like, why do you want to go there? What are you trying to get out of the experience? But also they put you on a diet that basically says, like, for two weeks, no alcohol, absolutely no drugs. Basically get yourself down to a plant based diet. Um, And then also like um, so psychoactive, excuse me, psychotropic drugs. You can't be on those for you know six plus weeks. Basically, what can happen uh, if if you don't follow the guidelines, if if you're on an antidepressant or something like that, and then you go and you take. Uh, ayahuasca, you can basically have um, this really, really bad uh, outcome at uh, basically a, a thing called serotonin syndrome, where oh. like so much serotonin floods yeah. through your body where you can die. You can yes. absolutely die from that. Yeah, that's um, correct. So people like, you know, again, people listening, if you want to do, if you want to have one of these experiences, follow the damn it, rules, take right? it very seriously. Follow, follow the, the damn rules. rules. Yeah, exactly. But so let's say we have done that, right? And we, we follow the rules. We are, we're showing up, we're prepared. Um, the, the high level thing, and, it, and every, every person is different, every experience is different, but the high level thing that, that something like a cel- psychedelic journey does for you is it, it kind of digs through your psyche and mm-hmm. shows you sort of things that you have repressed, right? It pulls them back up and asks you to deal with them. And so it can be a very, very unsettling and scary thing. But one of the craziest things about it is that it sort of shows you like what has been lurking in the shadows, pulling the strings in your life, so to speak. Right. So, for example, um, you know, I, 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 I struggle to I tr- struggle to put examples forward because, you know, I, I want to be you know sensitive and not offend folks. But, um, you know, there's there, there's people that come back from these experiences and talk about how they were abused as children. Right. And the abuse comes back up during the psychedelic experience. And one of two things happens, either they resist having to work through this thing and they get a really, really painful experience. And they're like, I am never doing that again. That was so awful. It was so painful. Or they do the painful work of, you know, kind of moving through what it is that they dealt with. Usually what happens is there is some sort of purge um, and that's a physical purge. So it could be like you may throw up and, and um, you know, it's, it's sort of a metaphorical and like legitimate uh, physical thing at the same time where uh, the purge is emotional, but it's also like you are getting rid of like possibly you are uh, ridding yourself of this difficulty of this trauma in your life. Um, and that's one way that we like come to terms with things during a psychedelic experience. But that's well, also I think why anxiety so as well, when, you know, high anxiety will cause you to puke as well. 
I imagine it would. Um, you know, the thing is like, it, again, it's, it's a different experience for every person. Um, like I, you know, the, when I went on it in January, I did not throw up. Um, who knows? Like, yeah. I can't tell you why or why not. That well, was you were the case. already working on your own mental health. So you've, 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 you know, your, your brainstem is not reacting to the heavy, heavy trauma because you've already addressed a lot of it. So I it's imagine def- that's probably it. It's definitely possible. Um, but I just, I, I just don't know, right. Cor- correlation doesn't equal causation. That, True. that, that fact kind of sticks in my mind or that, that, um, that saying kind of sticks in my mind. And I think also, you know, they do say that the, the harder that you follow the guidelines in advance. So, and, I mean, and what, what I mean by that is like, how much do you change your actual diet? Like, are you, you know, are you eating salads? Are you eating vegetables? Are you going like hardcore into this thing? Or were you kind of like, yeah, I was having a little bit of fried food last week and I showed up and I had, you know, a soda last night that can have a profound I wonder if it's impact because on of your that it reacts with the psychedelic drugs. That could be, that could, could might be part of it. I would, I would be interesting to see the science on that. Yeah. I, I do not know all that I, I know. know. All that I know, like an- anecdotally speaking, not not scientifically whatsoever. No, is right, that right, like, right. We're n- none so, of us here. Andrea can speak to some of it, but the majority of it, if you're listening, we have no idea what the hell we're talking about. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good disclaimer. Um, you know, so a lot of people, myself included, when you go on a psychedelic journey, especially on ayahuasca, you talk to something like whether it's your own mind or psyche or uh, a deity, a spirit, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it. You, you do t- a lot of people. That talk gecko to sitting over on the rock. Hey, yep. what's up buddy? Exactly. And so <laughs> a lot of people will say that if they didn't take the diet seriously, if they didn't take the experience seriously, the thing that they talk to will mess with them. And they'll be like, I am not to be taken lightly. Yeah. You did, you did not do your work. Like well, I'm going to make this a difficult experience for you. When it comes to anxiety, I think. Mean, for me, if I get in a really, I used to sell insurance and uh, I hate selling, although I'm really good at it because uh, I took a, a logical approach to figure it out. That's why, that's why I know a lot about psychology is because I had to learn it to be able to sell stuff. <laughs> I know it sounds terrible, but if you're going to sell stuff, you need to learn psychology. Um but it stressed me out so bad. I was anxious and it's like, Oh God, I don't want to do this ever. It turned into seizures. So the, the emotions and the anxiety for me turned into seizures. And one day I I came back from Thanksgiving break and I dropped my ex-wife off at the house. It's like, I go to the office for a minute. I got to take care of some shit. And I'm driving down the road by myself, of course, and I'm at a stop sign and I have a seizure. And so my foot comes off the brake, I roll into the intersection and a, a guy hits me head on. Oh. Or I hit him head on, one of the two. Total the car. The only lucky thing that happened to me was the, and this is true, it's not being racist or anything bullshit like that. This is what the fuck happened. He was an immigrant who was undocumented and he was afraid This is early 2000s. He was afraid, so he got out of his truck and ran from the accident. Well, in Arkansas, if you do that, if you leave the scene of an accident, the person who runs gets everybody's tickets. And all, everything goes to that person who runs. So I got zero punishment for driving when I knew I was not feeling well. But for me, 
anxiety turns into seizures, which turns into car accidents. So I had to learn to deal with it. Yeah, I I would. That I'm sorry. That is awful. I I would not know how to deal with that either. That is that is a lot. Yeah. And so that's why when I saw you deal with anxiety and stuff, I was like, hey, 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 let's talk to this cat. I want to I want to hear what he has to say. Now, Andrea has some uh, has some a couple of tough questions for you. Well, that, I, okay. that I hope you're. That I hope you're okay with. Yeah, let's see how we do. <laughs> well, actually, actually, he's already answered one of them. So I was just kind of curious as to what got you into these books. You've probably helped lots of people. Just what, what drove you? What experience drove you to want to help people? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the high level approach we have talked about at the beginning of the show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but some of the more tactical stuff, right? I I, I jump into specific stories such as the following, like, so it, you know, I talk about this in my first book, it's actually in the beginning of that book, but I went off to college. I knew that I had dealt with what I would call nervousness, you know, throughout high school. I, I didn't really, I don't come from a, a family of doctors or anything like that. So I didn't have the, the terms. And I also, at the time, like when I went off to college, I don't think I had really, I don't think I had actually been to a doctor yet to talk about this stuff to a psychiatrist or anything. Well, you're a dude in the, you know, 2000s. Of course not. Exactly. Yep. (laughs) And so I get off to college. I meet this girl. I like her. It seems like she likes me. Um, I I will say I I, I did know early on that, like, just in my life that when I was nervous, it was like I could have an alcoholic beverage and it would take the edge off. I could have a couple. I could have even more than a couple and it would help with the anxiety. And so I was I was out with my friends. I think we were just like in a dorm room playing video games or something like that. Uh, and she texted me, this was like, you know, one of the first Friday nights of college, something like that. And she was, I could tell that she had, she was like, Oh, I'm at a party, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, you can tell when somebody's texting you and they've been drinking, right. It's like a couple words like are not spelled the right way. And you know, more emotion <laughs> than normal or whatever. And she's like, Hey, I want to come over. And I was just like, and, and, and I, I you know, some, yeah, some, <laughs> so, you know, some people like, I, this story is not, I, I, I hesitate to tell the story sometimes because it's like, it, it was weird. Like I was sober, she was not. And like that, that in and of itself is a weird thing. Right. Yeah. I, um, I won't, when I was dating, I wouldn't, I agree with you. I wouldn't, um, if a girl came over and she was drunk and she wanted to fool around and I was stone cold sober, I wouldn't do it. Yep. And so I, like, I acknowledge that I was like, I'm gonna, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to just like feel this out. And if it doesn't feel right, then we're just like, not, nothing's going to happen right. here. And I was also like, let's not forget. I was 18. I was so darn nervous. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, Hey, I can also like, she can come over and we can have a couple of drinks and just, you know, see what happens or whatever. Maybe I can um, get drunk too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was, it was that, you know, the concerns of like the dynamics, those were definitely on my mind, but also I was so nervous that I, those things took a backseat a little bit. Right. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh my goodness, this girl who I like, who seems like she likes me, wants to come over. Like all of a sudden I'm thinking about like, what do I say? What do I do? How's it going to go? Like I had had a panic attack with a girl on a date that I, you know, somebody that I was dating about six months before that. And those are the kinds of experiences, right? I'm not going to say that that is, that was trauma for me, but it was difficult to go through. And so those experiences stick with us. And so this new girl at college is like on the way to come over. And that is all that's going through my mind, right? I'm like, okay, you know, the last time that, or not the last time, but one of the last times I was on a date or I, you know, hung out with somebody that I liked, I had this like breakdown. And I, 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 at the time, I don't even know if I knew what the word panic attack was or the phrase, but I was just like, I was so, so nervous that like I couldn't speak, I couldn't breathe. Like it was just so awkward. And eventually like we broke up 
maybe because of it, maybe not. I, I don't even really know, but um, it was just a really difficult experience. And then, so, you know, this girl comes over in college, you know, a couple minutes later. Um, and I'm, I, again, I was trying to figure out how do I make sense of the exper this experience? Like, what do I do? What do I say to myself? And I'm actually in the hallway. Like I'm trying to like take a few, you know, yeah, paces you're totally to inside your head at this point. Exactly. So I'm trying to calm myself down. And so like, I hear her, she's like, Hey, Brian, like coming up the stairs. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm freaking out. And so I'm in the hallway and there's like a open study lounge there. So I was like, you know what, let me sit down on the couch and like, you know, just try to act chill, like gather myself or whatever. And so <laughs> she, sits, yeah, she sits down right, uh, like right next to me. And immediately she just feels that like my heart is racing and my body is kind of shaking. Uh -huh. And without hesitation, she's just like, Oh my God, what is happening? You are shaking. Like you're like, what is going on? Like you're a freak stands up, like, runs away, calling me all these names. Aww. I'm like bes absolutely beside myself. I'm like, you what dodged the a bullet, brother. You I, dodged I a have. bullet. I, I you dodged have. I a know. huge um, bullet. And you know, she's I, not going to, that's how she's going to act every day. So it's like, okay, glad to know that. Bye-bye. Yeah. And I, and I do know this person uh, and I'm not trying to speak poorly of them. Um, it, you know, we were young kids and it was just a difficult yeah, experience all up. around. Yeah. But so, um, you know, I woke up the next day just completely humiliated being like, Wow, that's another you know episode, whatever we want to call it. Uh, I, I see this block right in my life of like that's now two intimate relationships that got quote unquote ruined because I don't know what's going on in my mind, whatever this nervousness thing is. I, I don't know how to deal with it, how yeah. to resolve it. So I basically that morning I like I woke up and I was yeah, I was exhausted, I was humiliated, but I was like I'm going online. You know this was 2008, so you know there wasn't that many books on Amazon, there wasn't that many articles on Google, or, or not as nearly as many as there are today. Right? Oh sure, and, it's all thin I, now. Exactly, yeah. and so I'm rummaging through Google, like trying. I'm buying like eBooks on like random people's websites, just trying yeah. to synthesize as much information as I could. And you know the reason why I tell this story is. That was such a painful experience for me at the time, uh, you know, 18 years old. All I, all I thought I really cared about was women and relationships <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and in some ways, yeah, that's still true. But, you know, of you, course. you grow up and you Once realize a player, it's, always a player. <laughs> <laughs> you do realize hey, now. You know, not necessarily the, the end of the world, so to speak. Um, but that was such a painful experience for me at the time that it really launched me into this journey. I was basically, uh, you know, I was so humiliated that I resolved. I was like, I, I don't know what I have, I have been dealing with. I am dealing with, but I have to figure this out. And so that was sort of the entry point of this 10 year journey that I talk about, um, of trying to get to the bottom of it, uh, bottom of anxiety, learn how to deal with it better. And then eventually it was like, because I had so much emotion behind it and it was such a large part of my life that took up so much time and pain and emotion that I eventually got to the point where I was like, I've made progress and I now feel like I have to share this information with other people. And that's, you know, that's why I write the books. Okay. So, um, in your opinion though, what do you feel is the difference between someone with ha has anxiety and maybe someone who just worries a lot? Yeah, I think, so I, I, I talk about this sometimes, which is I, I kind of look at it as a spectrum, right? So it's like, if, if, if you went to a psychiatrist and they were like, you have anxiety disorder, that's a, that's a large label to put on somebody, yeah. right? We want to make sure that we are care and I, and I can't, you know, I can't put that label on somebody because I'm not a clinician, but let's say somebody comes to me with that di uh, diagnosis already. Um, I, you know, if I'm trying to get into the head of the psychiatrist, uh, or, or even just look at some of the terminology and figure out how the labels get applied, right? Like a disorder, what we want, like, if we are talking about somebody's personality, it has to be pervasive, repetitive. It has to 
hold them back in life, but all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas like a warrior, like it, just the word itself feels like it's a little, a little less harsh than somebody who has anxiety disorder. Um, at the same time, you know, and I'm giving sort of a, a I guess a vague answer or, or not a clear cut answer is like, because it's a spectrum, like somebody who is a warrior could be, you know, 75% of the way down, down that uh, spectrum or, or whatever we want to call it. Right. If, if the, if, uh, if the end or, or, or somebody who is all the way to the right is somebody who has severe anxiety disorder, somebody who is a chronic warrior, they're not going to be all the way on the left. They're going to be somewhere in the middle, maybe a little bit to the right, something like that. Um, I think it just really comes down to like how pervasive is it? How, uh, you know, how severe are the symptoms? What are the symptoms? If it's somebody who just tends to worry a good amount, that person, I don't know, like if they don't, if they're not up late at night, if they're, if they don't have insomnia, if they don't get panic attacks, if they don't, you know, have trouble breathing occasionally, if they don't get heart palpitations, things like that, then we're going to, you know, we're going to dial that diagnosis or the label that we put on that experience a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Because if you think about it, though, all of us at some point in our lives do kind of become worry warts over something. And it's kind of like, what is the defining line between an anxiety disorder and obviously just being a worry wart? Only a clinician can diagnose that. Well, but- and, you know, I, I, like I've always said, the, the stereotypes exist for a reason. And we hate that in the modern day talking about stereotypes. And it's so un, it's so politically incorrect to talk about stereotypes. But, you know, they used to lump every psychological disorder they didn't understand when I went to take my psychology degree in, in 1992, 93, it was, the, 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 teacher or the professor was explaining to us that if they don't know what it is, they lump it into schizophrenia. That's true. I pulled up an old Merrick manual, which is like a, a doctor's book of education knowledge that they carry on their desk when you go and see them in the hospital or in the office. And I found one in a flea market from 1950. Yeah. So I was digging in through there and they- if you're having a massive heart attack, we suggest bed rest. Yes. And I'm just laughing because we all know if anyone has a heart attack, you go to the hospital, they send you to the cath lab and hopefully all is well. But, you know, they did lump it as like women with hysteria, hysteria and reading it, it just sounded like women who were just extremely anxious and frustrated and stressed yeah. out. And uh, Freud had a fix for that, but it wasn't correct either. That's correct. So yeah. Some cocaine and, you know- Whatever. Well, Valium used to be the common thing <laughs> oh they gave goodness. a lot of women in the 1950s who were anxious and stressed out. Yeah. So yeah. just go to bed and leave everyone alone. <laughs> you know, and so that was, the, that was the cure for it back then. And they're Can you re- imagine that? I know. Like given somebody who's highly anxious a bunch of cocaine, that sounds like an absolute disaster. <laughs> or Valium for that matter. Yeah, it did yeah. relax them. It did make them like a little bit, you know. Here, non- take some morphine. But, <laughs> you know, not Valium's not addictive, but it, it didn't really solve the situation. And Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, worry wart, who knows? I mean, it's, it's obviously a, 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 a mental diagnosis from people who don't understand psyche. And it's because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, but stereotypes are a thing and they're there for a reason. Even if, even the really, really bad ones, 
they're there for a reason and we have to understand where the stereotype came from and under, and, and then apply logic to it, I think would also be very, very helpful to, to, instead of just being PC about it and throwing it away, we should confront the fact that for like a hundred years, people called you this and that goes to some psychological problems that you may have or some societal problems that we may have. And while it's not fair or right, and some people take it to an extreme and make it all degrading, that stereotype exists for a reason. So a worry wart probably was something very close to uh, very close to a diagnosable illness for well, someone. If you think about it, though, all of us worry about something at some point in our lives, whether it's, a, t- it's a test, whether it's like, you know, you're getting married, whether it's... Why can't I pee all the time? You know, it's, like, it's not coming out as much as it should be. I still feel like I got to pee. Go to the hospital. Colonoscopy. You need a colonoscopy. That's that's the cure. No. but if you think about it everybody in some point in time has probably experienced the worry wart syndrome and I guess what I'm trying to figure out is for people out there who were laymen it's like what kind of advice would you want to give them to say hey you might want to talk to your doctor yeah for sure I, I think it's a really good point I think the fact that everybody is going to experience some like a mild form of anxiety yeah. a, a a form of over worrying at some point in their lives, we're, we're human, right? So that that's par for the course. I think, um, you know, th- there's two pieces I want to touch upon here. The, the first is like, if you think about, if you look into the science of like why anxiety exists, um, you know, that sort of break down our nervous systems and whatnot, right? You've got the fight or flight nervous system that yeah. has been trained over the course of human history and evolution to, uh, Paul, you were talking about this a little bit earlier is like, um, you know, if, if there is a predator out in the wild, it's like our fight or flight nervous system has been trained to get us out of the dangers associated yeah. with being in front of a hungry predator, right? And there's no time to think about it. If you try to think about it, he's going to eat you. So it's exactly. got to be built in. It's got to be in the structure of whatever they say it's the brainstem uh, scientists do, but it's, it's got to be built in. If you think about it, you're dead. Exactly. So just with that fact alone, it's like we all have a fight or flight nervous system some of us have, you know, are, they are more attuned, they are more alert, or they are, you know, more turned on than others. Um, and so that can sort of explain the reason why some of us are more on edge than others. Some of us may experience, and, and you know, it, this is only partly right, but may experience more anxiety than others. But the, the, the bottom line there is that we are human, we have fight or flight nervous systems. And so just by virtue of that, we are all going to experience worry at some point because we all face threatening things, whether they are, you know, physical threats or they are things that loom off in the distance that are important to our well-being. Um, So that is a really important thing to state. The second part is like, you know, how do we, how do we decipher between, you know, a worry wart or just somebody who is going through uh, a part of their lives where they are worrying right now, this comes back to that spectrum and the the sort of frequency and intensity of the symptoms. So it's like, look, if, if you're getting married and, and you're, even if you love the person and you know that this is the right person for you, it's still such a big change that your brain is like, what is life going to be like with this person? Hey, even though I, I know deep down, this is the right decision. Like my brain is still going to chew it over and, and question it. I think so what it's the like, biggest thing is to remember that that's normal. Exactly. Yep. So that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that is basically, you know, given the input, given the situation, given the context and the amount like, um, 
it does the does the output make sense and, and, and is, it, is it normal right so it's like if we are dealing with something that is scary that is stressful that is uncertain and then that thing comes to pass it's like okay if we are now no longer anxious then we can say hey that made sense right the inputs equaled the outputs the difference is like let's say whatever that event is or was if that comes to pass on the calendar and then all of a sudden we are still really really worried all the time especially if we're worried about things that are abstract, right? Not necessarily uh, specific moments in time. If we're just worried every second of every day, then all of a sudden it's like we're moving down that spectrum towards something uh, akin to generalized anxiety disorder or something like that. Okay. So next, I got a question for you. I was looking at your website to get out of your head and it states that you have a no bullshit approach to mental health. BS. It technically says BS. That could be, <laughs> that could also, you know, be an acronym for very simple, you know, just like well, a little fun thing. After seeing the, the graphics <laughs> on it, I think. So bull- you think I'm wrong. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying bullshit's probably more perfect. <laughs> only, only Brian would know here, but what is your approach? Yeah. You know, it's, it is a little bit of the no BS thing, right? It's like, I'm a guy. I approach things head on. I don't sugarcoat things. We're going to talk about things that are difficult, that are painful, but we're doing that because it's going to help you get through them eventually. Right. I'm not here to say like, Hey, everything's amazing. And like, your life is awesome. And you know, uh, it's all rainbows and unicorns and stuff like that. It's like, nah, dude, like, you know what the unicorns that do with that it, horn, right? Oh gosh. They shove it straight up your ass when you're not looking. <laughs> I, will like ad- the- I will admit I was very, <laughs> I can't even say what I was going to say. Oh, All I have is a mental image of a unicorn. Sorry. Um, is that the unicorn pooping out the ice cream? Oh no, please stop. <laughs> I really like the website because like you said, you're kind of like a no sugar coat. And I don't like things sugar coated. I'm kind of like, just tell me what it is. Stop beating around the bush. Yeah, this is retarded. Absolutely. I don't want to hear fluffy rainbows. That's not life. You can't life. use that word anymore. Fluffy rainbows? No. The other one. You can't use that R word anymore. It's illegal. What? What? Never mind. Uh, so he loves to try to get me on air. Um, <laughs> that's why we get along. So she enjoys it. So she's a little I, masochistic that way, but it's okay. Oh my gosh. Stop. <laughs> Our poor, poor listeners. So I really like that approach. So I'm really very curious. What, what is your approach? Cause for some people, not every woman in the world likes things blunt. I was kind of raised that way. So that's me. That's what I like. I don't like fluffy stuff. So how Good you, thing for her, I'm not fluffy. This is true. I'm just, I'm scary. That's about it. Okay. So I was very drawn to your approach. So how do you get people, you have to be open-minded, I'm assuming, for this type of approach, correct? Yeah, I think so. And there's a specific target market, right? It's like, um, sure, I'd love to help everybody, but, and, and no, no offense to a 75-year-old grandmother, but that she is, she might not be my target market, right? I'm more likely, you know, trying to reach men that approach things or masculine uh, people who are drawn to masculine energy or whatever uh, folks that are maybe in the 18 to 40 range where it's like, you know, folks who resonate with some of the stories that I'm talking about and like the fact that we're not sugarcoating different subjects that we talk about. It's like, I, 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 I just don't feel as though that for me, I don't feel as though that is helpful. It's like, let's get to the bottom of things quickly and let's try to move on as, as fast as we can. Um, but you know, that's inevitably part of, you know, I'm sort of a segue, but it's like, or a tangent, but it's like, that's marketing in general, right? It's like, you got to find your own audience. And, uh, if you try to appeal to everybody, you probably appeal to nobody. So it's like, if, if somebody doesn't like that approach and it doesn't resonate with them, that's totally fine. It's like, there's a brand out there for them as well. And like no hard feelings. And I, I, I just hope that, um, 
everybody gets the help that they need in whatever fashion they need it. Well, you know, I, I found that now that you said that it, if I found that being masculine, at least in pop culture, in, in mainstream stuff, uh, it, it feels like it's not allowed. What? Hey, I agree. I, I think especially these days and don't get me wrong. Like there are, there's you know, nothing there, there's wrong a, with it, but yeah, but it's, yeah, there's, there's a term that gets thrown around these days. Toxic masculinity. Yeah. Um, I would look, be the prime candidate for people using that term because <laughs> that's who I am. You know, I, th- th- that's one thing I used to be really self-conscious and not very confident because people wanted me to be someone I'm not. And I finally said, you know, to hell with this. I really don't care. I'm tired of having to check my P's and Q's and people hate me for it. But guess what? A lot more people love me for it than than that. And yeah. And that's so, marketing too, right? I suppose. I don't know. I'm just an asshole, but I'm an ass, <laughs> not an asshole. I just want to make that clear. I misspoke. <laughs> I'm an ass, not an asshole. There's a definitely a difference between the two. But anyway, um, you know, I, I really don't understand. It's weird because, and I'm going to speak to something here that Andrew may or may not agree with. I don't know. And you may or may not agree with, but in relationships, for example, I was married for 20 years and I got divorced and I went on the war path to find a, a, a woman who compliments me and I compliment her and we could get along and we could not, talk and not, not kill each other and not kill or at least, you know, kill each other, but in a good way. Anyway, in a nice way. <laughs> yeah, in a nice way. And I, I found that this is very true. For and and of course and I dated twenty two year olds. I know it sounds terrible. They chased me. I didn't chase them. You know, it's whatever. Uh, I never went out and specifically tried to find a twenty two year old. That was not my aim. I wanted to. They, they're not that mature sometimes, and that's kind of uh, for somebody my age. It's like we don't we, we get along because they're open, but when it comes to finances and stuff, it's like what the hell are you doing? Anyway, tangent squirrel, but. I, I found that women want the dangerous man who knows how to be nice and can dial it back when he needs to. Yep. They don't want the guy who has no confidence because he's trying to do the right thing, even though he doesn't believe in it. And men get lost. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I could talk about this one forever. And I, I I'll say a few things. I'm going to, I'll probably hold a few things back because I don't want to, you know, well, in the get PC culture, in. we get, we get, I don't care. I'll burn the house down, but you yeah. may not want to do that. Yeah. I don't want to get myself in trouble, but you know, I think, I think the Bring bottom line is, so, so that's what I say. We, Bring it on. We talk about talk, <laughs> toxic masculinity, right. And it's like, yeah. um, or just masculinity in general. Yeah. We can like, that can have a lot of different connotations and the connotations are extremely important. So, like I am sure that like, and I'm trying to formulate all the thoughts because it's like, it's a frustrating topic for me. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you why it's frustrating is because, so there is such thing as toxic masculinity, oh, right? Yeah. There, are, there are people who are salesmen. <laughs> definitely. But, but right. So it's like, we look at, we look at something like the me too movement that happened however many years ago. Right. Five. And it's like, yeah, five. Yeah. It's like, 
look, there were people, uh, you know, bosses and managers who were abusing their power, yeah. um, getting into relationships with women, harassing them, touching them against it's, their will. It's still all happening that sort of today. Stuff. It hasn't changed. That, and that is toxic masculinity, right? The, uh, the, I think it's just dumbass, personally. It, it, I like little, Red from that 70s show. They're just dumbass. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, I think it can do be both, that. right? Yeah, don't like, that's just so dumb. Um, it's unprofessional, just, it's disrespectful. Yeah, exa- exactly. Um, the problem is that there was such, there was, it was, if you think of things like a pendulum, right? It's like the pendulum swung so far yeah. to the other direction of weeding out toxic, ma- toxic masculinity that any form of masculinity got seen as toxic, right? So it's yeah. like, oh, if I, if I confidently and nicely ask one of my coworkers out, that is toxic mas- masculinity because I'm not supposed to date in the workplace. And it's like that, you know, I, I know that it's a tough and sensitive subject, but we have to, we have to hold the line. Somebody asking somebody else out on a date is so, so different yeah. than a manager. Hey baby, I love that miniskirt you're wearing today. Exactly. Yeah, you can't, yeah, no, don't do that. Don't do that's That's you're an asshole. That's the difference. Right. I'm an ass. But now when you say something like that, you become an asshole. And so the difficulty, right, is take if you take this process to its logical extreme, if we say we need to, you know, weed out, root out all masculinity in society, guess what's going to happen? There's not going to be any left. There's not going to be any left. And that's going to be a problem because, you know, feminine and masculine energy are drawn to one another. And so, you know, as you alluded to, it's like if you are a if you're a man and you're a wimp and a coward and you know, somebody who get a doormat, somebody who gets walked over. Yeah. Guess what? You're not getting any women. I'm sorry. No, it's just you're not, not getting happen. any women at all. You know? So it's like, we do have to be careful. Like, yes, somebody who has abused their power and made a bad name for all other guys, those people stink, right? And those people should be punished for what it is that they have done. Exactly. But, but don't bring us all down at the Fuck same those time. Guys. Those guys it's, are it's, assholes. It's, it's definitely frustrating and it's, it's definitely what you, difficult. What do you think, Andrea? You're, you're the dissent, may or may not be the dissenting voice. You look like you have something to say or uh, it's either bad or your chair is on fire. I just, I keep thinking, you know, hearing this, I'm not your average female. No, she is not. And that's why she's with me and I'm with her because if she was the average female, she wouldn't have got the time of day out of me. I wish I'm I'm an I'm an ass. I know. It's fine. You're not a you're to me you're neither one of those. But I know. But I just I guess for me, I'm different. So I always have to take that into consideration. I'm not the average female, which is probably why I don't have a lot of female friends. Because they get on my nerves for lack of a better term. Um I think if people would just Stop being jerks to everybody and just realize, okay, your coworker asks you on a date. You may not be interested. Just say no and let it be. Do you have to run to HR and report that? No. Why can't people just kind of stop back and look at the honesty and be kind to each other and be nice to each other? And I just don't understand why women are like that sometimes. It's like, stop... Stop being a bitch. <laughs> you know, I, 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 yeah. you know, I think it's okay for people, for men to be men and women to be women and let's be respectful to men. And not let's, all women are women. I mean, yeah. some women are very masculine and they, they, it intimidates other women. But 
Who cares? Let them be who they are. Let, let yeah. people be nice to each other. Let's stop siloing yeah. each other and putting people on labels and stuff. And what do you think about silos? That's something that she's been talking about. It's, 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 it's your, explain what you mean by silos because it's your idea. And silo I think it's is something that I pick up from work because we talk about departments. Let's not silo ourselves. Basically, let's like not just think of our little little section of the planet or little section of the department or the hospital. Everybody works together as a whole, and every Everybody works together as a whole for humanity. And honestly, I just, my concept of silos is why do we have to put a label on everybody? Why, Absolutely. why yeah. is everybody to be masculine and feminine and you're this and you're that and you're this religion, that religion and this, why do we just stop? We're all humans. Yeah. I, I, I do agree with the sentiment for sure. I think the, you know, the difficulty is we do, uh, we do live and operate in a society where, um, you know, we do need some categorizations like we, you know, in we, an economy, yeah. right. It's like, okay, like we still need to. Stereotypes exist for a reason. They do. They do exist for a reason. We're trying to make sense of the world. And so yeah. it's like, I think we want to strike a balance, right? We want to have enough labels that allows us to make sense of the world without making it so that like, you know, we then put too many labels on each other and we, we all of a sudden. Or we, we throw have, people into a giant label like them, like liberals and conservatives, you know, things like that. I mean, yep. there's so many different types of liberals and so many different types of conservatives. I mean, if we took Andrea and I and yourself more than likely, Brian, back to the 1970s, we would just be, we would all be liberals. We would all be crazy liberals that they hate. <laughs> That's a wild thing to think about. I, there was something my brother, my brother's, he likes, you know, the, the history of the different presidents. And I think he said, it, I want to say it was, there's a few different presidents and I don't, I don't have the history myself, but something like, I want to say maybe Clinton, like if, if, today, if Clinton were running today, you know, he was, he was, um, uh, a, a, a liberal back then or a, a Democrat back then, if he were running today, he would be like a, a staunch Republican and just seeing how things have all changed. Very right? middle of the road Republican at this point. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It's really interesting. Compared I guess to Newt yeah. Gingrich and, and all those other guys, but, but see, the thing is that they put labels on like people like Newt Gingrich and they say he's this weirdo conservative, but he, he was really quite open to stuff, but just no one ever gave him the voice. They would, they would, they wouldn't let him talk, uh, when it came to that kind of stuff, they just call him names and go on. And the same with this, the same with Martin Luther King, people just call him names and move on. And I'm not comparing yep. the two. They're not in the same class. No, Correct. But, I, you know, it's, stop with the labels, man. Let people stand on their own damn merits. Absolutely. And quit trying. And I think anxiety, that, I mean, the anxiety from that alone is, is, is insane. I don't understand. I, 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 I'm trying to figure out why people, I guess we all have to have our communities, if you're yeah. not in our community, then you're not one of us and you have to go away and you're making me anxious. Well, right. I get, and people need to also kind of stop back and think of how much, how far we've come as a society since the seventies or the sixties or the fifties. It's not the same place. It's not the same place. Uh, you what, know, what were you going to say, Brian? Yeah, I, I think I, that's a great point, Andrea. And I, I, I think we can't lose sight of that. I think the labels thing, right. We're talking about whether it's politics or anxiety or something like that. It's like, um, you know, I had mentioned, like, we want to put enough labels on things that allow us to make sense of the world without making those labels so specific that we create or an so us general. Versus, yeah. And us versus them mentality and how that sort of links back to anxiety. Right. Is like 
uh, if we get a sort of sense of tribalism, all of a sudden, uh, you know, things get painted as us versus them, right? Uh, liberals versus Democrats, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and as soon as our brain identifies an enemy, all of a sudden it's like, maybe, you know, maybe we don't like go into a panic attack or anything like that, but that activates, you know, again, parts of our brainstem and, you know, it's the amygdala exactly. and whatnot, where it's like, we get an amygdala response and all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, like, uh, we see this person as a threat, as somebody who is different from us, right? When, when they're that not. might not necessarily be the case, right? They never they, they're, were. They're well, a human. They have, you know, their own beliefs. Maybe, yeah. maybe we have a lot more in common than we, than we might think we do. But if, if all we say is, you know, like, uh, red versus blue, all of a sudden, like the, the, the nuances get lost there. Yeah. Well, this is kind of a personal story. I try to stay away from religious stories on these things, but it's the only way to kind of explain this. I'm Jewish. And so we've always kind of been taught growing up that, you know, the world looks at us, not everybody, but some people in the world look at us as different. And, and they do. And um, I mean, it's not, a, it's not an untruth. So I kind of get always saying about the silo thing is this, I feel like sometimes if we didn't have that, maybe there wouldn't be so much pressure for us to look as a target on our back. And I don't want to say target, it's probably a little harsh, but I've been afraid to really voice my, that I'm Jewish to my peers, to my work environment. And until recently I, I did and it's kind of backfired, but that's a whole other topic. But yeah, that's okay. just somebody being an asshole. So, Sorry. um, you like, I'm even afraid to like go into temple on high holidays because we have to see a cop car outside of the temple. Yep. So it's kind of like, it's, I think some of that anxiety for me stems from just. That's the group thing. Hitler did that. Hitler and the Kaiser both did that. They, 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 they had to find someone to blame for poverty. And so they blame the Jews. But it's still resonance. I don't know for every Jew out there. I don't want to like get as stereotypical yeah. like saying, but for me, I constantly have to live with that anxiety of going into temple because a high holiday starts actually at, well tonight at sundown but it's technically monday we have service but you know that constant worry of am i gonna tell someone that i'm jewish and are they gonna ostracize me or treat me differently are they going yep. to i had an incident paul always talks about this but it i during covid i live in a small town that's highly in the middle of BFE. Oh yeah. I like it. It's quiet. It has his great things. But anyways, the closest Walmart the stereotype fits the Walmart country, you know, Walmart country is where we're at. So I don't even know if it's Walmart country. I think it's more like BFE. Okay. So I'm driving <laughs> into Walmart. Got to get some dog food. I'm into dog food, get in the dog food aisle, throw in this big old 50 pound bag in the cart and my necklace, our David necklace comes out and the lady in the aisle sees it. And starts screaming at me that the Jews caused COVID. And she chases me around the store until nobody's helping me. People are getting their I phones. I whooped her ass. People are getting care. their phones out. Woman or no woman. I'd be like, get the hell out of here. I don't know if they're recording. I'm just paranoid, freaking out. Before she met me. But trying to get out of the store. Just want to get out of the store. No one's helping me. Phones following me around. I get to the checkout. And I look at this poor guy, who's an older gentleman, he's just staring at me and I said, I just want to get the fuck out of here and get my dog food and go. And he goes, okay, 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 go. And he carried her off. Um, <gasps> to this day, I cannot go in that store without completely flipping out internally because of that experience. Wow. Because it- 
how do you deal with something like that? I talked to the rabbi about it and she basically said that the only thing she could recommend was just talking to other people about it and to try to work through it. I what never- do you think, Brian? It's a really tough one. And I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that story. That's a, that's an awful experience. I think in general, right. It's like, I, I wish that people were just nicer to one another, regardless yeah. of labels and whatnot. That it's, it's insane that something like that can happen in 2021. Exactly. I mean, obviously, especially not, not only like her actions, but what she said just doesn't make any sense. Um, I, I think that's a, it's a difficult one because there's a lot of layers there, right? It's, it's a relatively traumatic experience. Um, it's hard to break it down. I think the only way that I can look at it is basically say, you know, you have to do what makes sense and feels right to you. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that you, and, and I, I don't think you're doing this by any means, but it's like, I wouldn't recommend that you, you know, sit in your house for the rest of your life just because you had one experience at like one awful, awful experience at Walmart. Um, but if you say to yourself, like, look, I, I don't feel comfortable shopping at that store anymore. That seems totally valid and reasonable to me. Um, you know, and if you say to yourself, like, look, um, there's certain places that I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, maybe be a slightly embarrassed to do this, but I might not wear my necklace or something like that. Yeah. One I've done of the that. things that's, it's tough, right? It's like, you know, um, and I, I, you know, I, I guess it's like, I, I'm not Jewish and I don't follow too, too many, like, you know, things strictly revolving around religion, but I'm respectful of other people's beliefs. And just and so I, you know, I'm a Lutheran myself. Okay, cool. And it's like, you know, I understand that, you know, for example, right. Um, I, and, and I, I'm not really educated here, so I don't know exactly it's what okay. I'm talking about, but like, um, certain people were, will wear the yarmulkes, right. Yes. And it's like, um, look, I understand that religions have these different rules and, you know, you want to follow those as best you can. At the same time, you can't ignore the fact that we live in a world that has real consequences. And so it's like, if you walk through some community, um, that really frowns upon other, you know, frowns upon Jews, frowns upon people wearing yarmulkes, some, something like that. Look, I, I'm oh, not, habib, you know, a hajib, or what is yeah. it? Ha, 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 I can never pronounce it correctly, but yeah. it's if it's a covering, fem- yeah. head covering. No, it's more than that. It's full head to toe if you do it right. Okay. Hijab, right? I think hijab, hijab. Yeah. Um, like, I, I can't deny the fact that like, look, sure, maybe, you know, whatever, like, like, like maybe God would look at you and say, hey, you, you, I, this is not what I want you to do. But like, I also believe that like, and this is just me, right? This is just my belief is like, I'm not going to put myself in, like in a situation where I could get killed because I'm wearing, you know, I'm wearing something that displays my religion and I went down the wrong street. It's like we, you know, there's still real world consequences to these sorts of things. So I like, you know, I'm just a person who tries to strike a balance. It's like, yes, um, adhere to to your religion and its practices as best you can. But at the same time, like it doesn't make any sense to like, you know, do these things that put you at further risk or you don't feel totally comfortable with. Like I, it's like, I would like to to a black lives matter uh, rally or black lives matter rally wearing a uh, Confederate t-shirt. Don't do that. That's not a good idea. Definitely don't, don't do that. But that'll, that's also not, you know, that's not religion there. Um, <laughs> it's the same concept though, really. I think for me though, I just really don't wear the necklace so much anymore. And I kind of keep myself quiet and I've had the people like, Oh, just, you shouldn't do that. You should just be yourself 100%. And I'm like, you also didn't grow up realizing that you're different. 
in some aspects and the world has hated you since time began. <laughs> so I'm not sure yeah. that's true, but okay. But you know, I kind of tell my kids, we don't tell anybody, you tell anybody your mother's Jewish. It's kind of not to make it necessarily teach them that it's a taboo, but kind of to teach them that it's, we have to kind of yeah. protect ourselves. Well, it's like in, 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 on the college campus telling somebody you're Christian you might as well wear a scarlet letter. Exactly. It's the same thing for you as well. It's, it's so, that's how I felt when, when I was in college and they found out you're a Christian. Well, what do you, you do this or this? No, hell man. I get, you know what you get when you get four Lutherans together, a fifth. I mean, come on, let's go. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, your preconceived notions are sometimes, and it, and it makes sense. I mean, we're surrounded by Baptists down here in Arkansas where we're at. And sometimes the Baptists can be quite judgmental, even when they're saying they're not being judgmental. And this is something we live with and it's annoying. But, you know, one of the things that I asked you when I asked you to come on the podcast, I wanted to talk to you about food insecurity. Yes, I remember that. Uh, I think this is aimed more towards me. Andrea has, she, she, a few years ago. It was way back when I had my son. I was young, 25. Where was I? Was no, 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 no. Well, okay. That's fine. Uh, I'm sorry. That's not what the story I was looking for, but we uh, can well, do we it. could do another story. I don't, I don't know what story he's going at, <laughs> but I was struggling to put food on the table for me and him and my ex-husband at the time with $30. And that left a huge lasting impact that I kind of tend to extremely stock up. And when food is lower in the pantry than I would like it for my anxiety, I tend to go out and shop and buy a bunch. But I've learned through knowing that that is me, that I've slowly been changing my thought process to letting it be like lesser cans in the pantry to try to realize that it's just something I went through, that the world's not going to fall apart. There is going to be food and it's going to be fine. Well, uh, but when you hit that winter. Oh, yes. We had a huge snowstorm here. Like I was. Snowstorm? Snowstorm. That's every night. Snowstorm. I can't talk. <laughs> um, and w- I live out in the country on a rural dirt road and it's quiet. You, well, it's quiet only after they stop playing the banjos. It's not that bad. <laughs> he loves to bring that. He feels like he's going out to deliverance when it comes to my house. It's not that bad. I hear some dude in the, in the, in the woods yelling, squeal. I wonder a little bit. No. <laughs> There's no such thing. But anyways, we were kind of stuck in our house for two weeks with no water because I live on a well and all the wells in the county were completely frozen over. And so it got kind of almost borderline like. Well, in your car, it's broken in in a certain way. You can't get out of the. Yeah. I tried to get it. I got my Mustang GT, which I've driven for 20 years now. And I got it through the snow just fine. A sports car through a dirt road in the snow that's like two feet deep. And I got to her house and back, but her car wouldn't go. And it's an SUV. And I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong? It's because it's got a traction control issue. So you can't get it out of there. So she kept getting stuck. So So she couldn't leave her house. That experience has made me extremely, um, the food, stocking up on food paid off because I had tons of food in the house, but we didn't have water. So we were to the point of boiling snow. That's how bad it was. So I think that's the story that he thinks of is probably has. That contributed to your anxiety a lot. And then if it wasn't for me saving you, you'd still be having a lot of that anxiety. Uh, Maybe. But for people who who are afraid of not being able to eat tomorrow, even though we're surrounded by food, you know, 
in the United States, we're surrounded by food. We have no idea how good we got it. I mean, I right. use the example of our poor have Xboxes and cell phones. Our extremely poor have Xboxes and cell phones. I don't, I, and I know this from personal experience. I went to a, uh, a party where they sell stuff, trying to make a little extra money. And Pampered Chef. Yeah, Pampered Chef. That's exactly what it was. And I went to the party, and I'm in there, and I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to be nice. And and I bought some stuff from them because I was making pretty good money. And they're on food stamps and and all that. And I get it. She's a single mom with four kids working at Walmart. You know, without the government check, she would not have what she had. And but it it dawned on me that she has an Xbox. She had, they had a, the kid just bought a new PlayStation. I'm like, how the hell did he get a hold of a PlayStation there on food stamps? But whatever. And um, you know, it, it it just made me realize that we're not bad off when our poor are not poor, and we're like, oh, you need extra help, but they're not poor. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I- it's definitely an important perspective. It's it's vital to remember that we do have it really good. Um, I think that a lot of, maybe not all, but some of the ills in the world come from forgetting that fact, right? Yes. It's like, oh, now we have all this time on our hands and we're on our cell phones all the time, looking at these different stories that get us agitated, annoy us, whatever. And all of a sudden it's like, the, the world's the worst it's ever been. It's never been this bad. It's like, Hey dude, go back a thousand years and like, good luck, good luck with that. Like right, we would right, all, right. we would all live for like, like 20 days, you know, um, <laughs> we're burning think, wood and cow dung to try to stay warm in the winter. Exactly. And I, I mean, I think, you know, the, the food insecurity thing, right. It's like the, the, the thing that I think about when I hear that story is the thing that I come back to is anxiety exists for a reason, right? It's like, what, the fact that we worry, the fact that we get anxious, the fact that we loop over things in our minds, the, the, I guess from a standpoint of like, again, inputs, inputs versus outputs. If, if we don't know where f- our food is coming from, uh, you know, in the next week, in the next month or whatever, that is reasonable anxiety. Like yeah. the, the emotions that we're feeling, that makes a ton of sense. It's like our bodies are trying to keep us alive. Our brains are trying to help us survive. And so if we don't know where food is coming from in the next week or the next month, it only makes sense that we are going to be very anxious. Um, so I, you know, I, again, I, I try to find this approach of like strike a, strike a balance, so to speak, right. Where it's like, is there something we can do? Um, whether it's go to Costco or BJ's or, you know, one of the, the whole, the wholesale clubs or something, can we stock up on like a hundred pounds of rice? And then that way we have food that's going to last for a really long time. Um, and that can kind of assuage some of our anxieties or kind of tamp them down a little bit. But I guess the other piece specific to, you know, Andrea's situation was like the water, like, um, is there, if, if you don't, you know, if, if you don't, if you're on, if you're living on a well, that makes things difficult, right? If the well freezes. Um, and also like, it's probably not feasible to like go get a 300 gallon drum of water or something like that. But I guess the balance part is like figuring out what your mind needs to feel okay and then sort of implementing whatever tactics or strategies go along with those things and allow you to put those concerns aside. Right. So rather than saying like, Oh, rather than always living with only, you know, five cans of soup in, uh, in the pantry and, you know, uh, a, a half gallon bottle of water or something like that. 35 and always, cans of soup and 14 gallons of water. Hey, 
<laughs> it takes a whole entire, it takes a whole entire two gallons of water to flush a toilet. It's true, actually. So don't yeah. realize that. So I learned that over this past winter. What I've done to kind of alleviate that, which is kind of what you were going talking about, is I've noticed stock up on water. And wintertime, I stock up on food. And my kids would tease me about this, about making soup, getting too much and freezing it. And this <laughs> past winter, we were trapped in there. And, you know, we were- we, we, It we said, was two or three winters ago. Yeah, two or three winters ago. I'll, they'll never forget. They both turned to me and they said, mom, we're never going to laugh at you again. And oh I was like, goodness. I was like, really? <laughs> and they're like, you, you, this paid off. And I said, I told you. That's you why know. I live in a city. Thank you. So um, <laughs> I do kind of do stuff like that to kind of help, help me feel better. But he always laughs about it when you go into my pantry and there's like 16, like, you know, two gallon buckets of water in there. And I'm like, it takes a lot of water to flush a toilet. <laughs> it takes a lot of water to wa- yeah. wa- take a bath. I mean, you know, we yeah. wash dishes. I mean, it's we... It made me appreciate just how much luxury we do have. See, and I think that's how you beat the anxiety. What do you think? Is it by focusing on what the luxury that we have? What do you think, Brian? I think that's definitely helpful, but at the same time, right? It's like our brains want to know that we're going to be able to survive. So it's like, yeah, we might live in luxury, but if all of a sudden the food is gone, the water's gone, the electricity's gone, like our brain's like, what the heck just happened, right? Um, So I think it's like, I think the strategy of, putting the water aside, like, or, you know, stocking up on water, stocking up on food, just as an emergency reserve. I think that's a great idea. You know, going back to the, the concept of anxiety on a spectrum or something like that, right. Is like, as long as you can go and stock the pantry with 50 gallons of, uh, excuse me, 50 pounds of rice, 20 gallons of water, and then feel good about it. That's amazing. But if, if even after you do that, you are still looking around for every you know potential way that things could go wrong and saying like, oh, I need to buy even more or whatever. It's like there, there should exist a point at which I'm not saying you're going to feel amazing because it's like, you know, we just went through COVID and there was, you know, food shortages and store lockdowns and house lockdowns and whatnot. But like, what is the sort of balancing point? What, what is the, the, the point at which we can reach where we can sort of satisfy our minds and, and get them to almost shut up, right? get them to be like, okay, I'm good here. Like you've pacified me. Um, but we also want to make sure that if we are still, even after doing those things, if we're still crazy anxious, if we're still thinking about things all the time, then yes, like when it comes to that spectrum, maybe it's like, maybe we, maybe are, we are leaning towards, you know, being worry warts or having an anxiety disorder or something like that. And again, I can't diagnose those sorts of things, but it's important to always maintain that perspective perspective and, and ask ourselves those questions. So that way it's like, okay, is what I'm dealing with really the problem or is anxiety at large, the bigger problem, if that makes sense. So what's a good strategy that you have found to help someone who's having an anxiety or panic attack? What I know breathing, getting the oxygen up in your brain helps you to, to open up synapses that maybe will, will calm you down and it'll release endorphins and possibly some serotonin when you increase the oxygen. But what other, what other things do you suggest that you found work for, for say yourself? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think there is a little bit of a difference between I mean, there definitely is a difference between like a panic attack and just experiencing anxiety, right? The the feelings associated with worrying and overthinking and whatnot. If somebody is having a full-blown panic attack, it's a really scary experience, right? I think what you said is sort of the best thing that we can do. It's, you know, breathe, go for a walk, 
Um, try to be with like, and, and I guess, so I'm talking to two different people at the same time here. The person who's experienced the panic, experiencing the panic attack would want to breathe, would want to go for a walk. If we are observing somebody having a panic attack, I think the best thing that we can do is be there for that person. The difficult thing about panic attacks and being there for somebody is the fact that what's going on inside of that person's mind and body is so much worse than what we can see on the outside. So, you know, it's funny, there's a, there's a book, I, I think the author's name is Dan Harris. Uh, it's called 10% Happier. And he had, yeah. he, used, he used to be a broadcaster. He had a panic attack on air. Um, and then that experience changed his life. You know, he wrote this book, he got into meditation, he started a company, um, all that sort of stuff. The, the intra, and, and I'm not like, I'm not discounting what happened to him. I mean, I, I'm trying to, I guess, highlight my point. Um, if you watch the clip of where he had a panic attack on air, you almost can't even tell that anything happened. Right. But at the same time, you can't, we can't discount the fact that that was such a painful experience for him that it basically made him turn his life around. Right. Yeah. So the point that I'm trying to get at is that if somebody is having a panic attack in the same room as you, you might not even know it. Right. So it can be hard to be there for that person because it's such an internal experience that that person might not show, they may not express or exhibit certain things that allow us to say, Hey, that person is having a panic attack right now. Um, I think to people listening, right. It's like, that's why it is important to build relationships, uh, you know, built around honesty and trust and whatnot, where it's like, if you are in the same room as somebody who you have a strong relationship with, you might then know that you could turn to that person when you're having a panic attack and be like, Hey, I can barely think right now, you know, I'm having one of my episodes or whatever it is. And then that person can be there with you, right? They can say, Hey, Hey, Jim, John, whatever your name is, right. Let's go for a walk down the hall. I'm here for you. You, you know, you can put your hand on their back or something like that. And, and I just think the worst thing you can it. do is to dismiss what they're going through. Oh, there's nothing worse than that. There's absolutely nothing worse I don't than think that. It, I, you can, you can call them names. You can tell them that, you know, it'll all be over tomorrow. It'll be fine. And you could, you could probably hit them in the head with a baseball bat and it still would not be worse than dismissing it outright. I think you know, you're right. You're fine. That kind yeah, of thing. I think you're right. You know, it's, it is interesting, right? Where it's like, um, there may be times where somebody is thinking and not a panic attack, but just thinking about something too much. Right. Let's say, I remember it was like in high school, we used to, um, when we were like, we were talking about our relationships or girls that we were trying to hang out with or something like that. Goodness. And like one of my friends may be like, Oh, is she ever going to text me back? Does she like me? This, this, this. And it's like, I wouldn't necessarily say like, you're fine, but it'd be like, Hey man, like you're, you're kind of like, you're worrying about this too much. Like put it down. I think this, per I think this girl likes you. Like, I think it's going to be okay. Right. Confidence. Um, yeah. Confidence. Yeah, like when you, it comes to, when it comes to, to, to dating, for women to like you, you have to have confidence. And that was one reason why that one woman ran off screaming because you were shaking. She saw that you weren't confident and she's like, well, screw this. I don't want somebody who's confident. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's just the way it is. And you yeah, know, we have to learn it in the hard way. Most of the time I had yeah. to do it. Everybody's got all, every male out there that's interested in anyone, even another man has to realize that if you're not confident, they're probably not going to be interested unless they want to rule you and they want yeah. they're a narcissist and then but, they're, you're yeah. the perfect target at that point. I think also just, you know, obviously, yes, that's, you know, that when it comes to dating, that's an important thing. But in that specific situation or the sort of example that I was talking about, it's like 
there are scenarios where somebody you are talking with somebody and without dismissing them, and maybe it might come off as a little dismissive to that person, Possibly, but, you know, almost, almost in a coaching perspective where it's like, I can see what this person can't see because they're in their own minds yeah. is to be like, look, you're not helping yourself right now. I'm not dismissing the pain that you're experiencing, the difficulty of this situation. All I'm saying is that to continue to turn this thing over, to chew it again and to, you know, work yourself up, that is not going to help you. So why don't we do this? Why don't we, you know, go to, uh, you know, take part in some activity. Let's go to the driving range, yeah. get ice cream, something like that. Try to get our minds off of these things. I think that's a really important thing when it comes to anxiety in general, because it's like, again, it's an internal battle, right? It's like, we might not necessarily see what is going on inside that person's head, but it's like, and, and I, I think also that's you know, one of the reasons why my brand is called get out of your head is just like, we are trying to do our best to do a 180 and turn our minds away from anxiety to stop yeah. chewing over these, these difficult problems. Well, and it's, you know, negative emotions, negative emotions lead to more negative emotions. It's called a positive feedback loop, even though it's about negativity. Yep. And, uh, the positive feedback loop means that when you feel bad, you eat more. And because you eat more, the, you feel bad because of the calorie count and the bad food, blah, blah, blah. And so you feel worse. And then that makes you feel worse emotionally. And then you eat more. And, and that's probably, you know, that's under negative. That's a positive feedback loop, even though it's negative. Um, and that's really what you end up doing. And, so I always, one thing that I did when I was running a parking lot striping company, I had a, I printed off a big note on a piece of paper because I was so anxious. Uh, and I put it up on my shed door where I kept my equipment and it said, the sun will come up tomorrow. And what that was, was to remind me that it could suck for a minute, but tomorrow's a new day. And it may not suck tomorrow and you'll never know if you don't find, if you don't live through it and, and suck it up and, and watch the sun come up tomorrow and allow yourself to feel the positive emotions because we're tuned to only feel the negative emotions. So that way we don't get eaten by a bear. Uh, and, but we're, you know, we, we, we kind of skip over the positive ones and the, but the positive ones could be so good. And it's those people that always, that they're so happy because they always just see the positive, you know, and that, that annoy everyone. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. <laughs> and, but those, you know, just take, do that 10%, do 10% of what they do and you'll feel better. Garbage in, garbage out. It really goes, it really kind of breaks down for me to that. Not for everyone, but that's how I was able to deal with my, my, my stress. Well, I was able to deal with my stress by also saying, fuck this. I'm not selling insurance anymore. I'm going to do something else. And so that helped me a lot. <laughs> but so you've got a book series out and I wanted to ask you a little bit about your book series. If you could walk us through, cause you got a bunch of books, right? Just two. Okay. Well, you could you write another one. Yes. I thought I saw. I've got two right now. Uh, I'd like to publish a third one. I just, uh, writing is not yet my full-time job. So it, you know, the, uh, the constraints on my time are, are kind of high. Um, yeah. So the first book is, is called get out of your head, a toolkit for living with and overcoming anxiety. I would say a lot of the book itself is centered around, uh, the stuff that we've talked about on this podcast, right. It's, you know, the, the, the story opens 
um, or the, the book itself opens with the story I talked about at college where I had the panic attack um, with the girl that I was interested in. Uh, a lot of the strategies that I cover are ones that we briefly touched upon here or alluded to. Um, I've got a framework in there called the 10 steps to getting out of your head, which is basically just, you know, a a list of 10 simple steps that you can walk through when you're feeling anxious to try to uh, dial back some of that fear a little bit. Uh, I also talk about in that book, it's like, you know, uh, so sort of the approach is like, sometimes you are already anxious and you're already in events that cause you anxiety. So how do you walk that back? Uh, And then also, how do you cultivate a life with less anxiety in it overall? How do you get into fewer of those experiences to begin with? Um, so that's the first book. That one came out in 2018, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah definitely an interesting one. I mean, I, obviously, it's, it's my own content, so I, I'm, <laughs> I'm biased. But, of course. Uh, yeah, and then the second book is um, Get Out of Your Head, Volume 2, Navigating the Abyss of Depression. So the first book, again, you know, on anxiety. The second book is about depression. Two slightly different topics, but also very related, right? They're both, they both revolve around the human mind and and the tendencies um, that we have to cause despair for ourselves, whether it comes to being anxious or or being depressed. Um, It is definitely a series. Like um, if you read the first book, the second book, you'll, you'll have a couple stories in the second book that will like, it'll tie through a little bit better at the same time. It is not meant to be like, um, serialized in the sense of like, like you can definitely pick up book two if you are dealing with depression and what, what I need, you know, it's like all the context that you need, I provide it yet again in book two. Um, so you can definitely pick up either one. Uh, but if you're like somebody who, you know, anxiety and depression are comorbid diseases. So a lot of people deal with both of them. Um, and I, and I deal with both of them as well. So it's like, it made sense to me, um, to, you know, it, one, it made sense to write both of those books and have them kind of stand together. But also it was, uh, I don't know if I necessarily meant to do that. It was more kind of, I dealt with anxiety for a long time and that was the inspiration behind the first book. And then I dealt with a uh, difficult and long depressive episode for, um, uh, I think that was in 2018, a little bit of 2019, and that became the inspiration behind the second book. So I just talk about my experiences and also you know, try to relay some of the insights that I've come up with over time, share them with my readers and audience and hoping in hopes of helping them alleviate some of their own suffering. Um, again, it's like, I'm not a doctor all I'm here. I'm just a dude, right? I'm, I'm trying to help other people. Um, and you know, in any way that I can do that, it's sharing some of that information yeah. and being there for people well, and, and having conversations like this one. Anyone who's suffering from that, I had Frank King on or Andrea and I had Frank King on a while back and he, he, we talk about male suicide and you know, it's the same thing is if you have an, an issue Speak to someone. Don't just take it out on your, don't just do it by yourself. Um, and if, if you need someone to talk to, you know, there's, there's hotlines. If you have no one to talk to, um, you can reach out on social media to myself or Frank King. I'm not sure about you, Brian, if you're willing to do that because we haven't talked oh, about yeah, it. Absolutely. Am. Yep. And you can reach out to us and we'll talk to you. We'll, we'll talk, I'll talk to you. I, I, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything, but I'm also not afraid to talk to you and I'll be candid and open and honest tonight. And I'm not, if you like hard, cold truths that cut you to the core, give me a ring because that's about all I'm good for. But if you oh, want somebody Lord. to be a little bit nicer to you, Frank would be good. <laughs> and 
probably Brian would be good as well. Um, but if you're having troubles, please reach out to someone. Don't ever let it spiral to the point where you're sitting in your room eating Cheetos and wishing you were dead because it's not doing anybody any favors because people love you and they want to see you do better and they care about you, even though you think they don't. Now, Andrew, yeah, Andrea, is there anything else that you wanted to ask? Any something, anything that you're burning to ask? Where can we find your books? Yeah, so a couple good places. First place would be my website. That's getoutofyourhead.com. There'll be links on the website um, that'll probably kick out to Amazon. Uh, you And that leads me into you know the second part, which is you can find the books on Amazon. Um, I would probably type in my name. So that's Brian Sacchetta, S-A-C-H-E-T-T-A. Uh, instead of get out of your head, I'm having a, a little bit of a, a difficulty with, I actually have a registered trademark for the brand, but I'm having some difficulty uh, protecting the brand right now. Just there's, yeah. there's a different book out there of the same name. Um, and so there's some confusion that gets caused uh, when people sometimes so who's type got in, the get biggest out of your check, head. You know, if Random House has that, if they Random House is pushing that name, then I don't know, man, I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what <laughs> happens. But, you know, just in terms of people finding the book, um, just want to make sure that they do find it and that it's accessible. So um, as a yeah, filmmaker, I have the same, pro- I have the same issue. I'm, I'm up against it as well. So Very interesting. And, and, and it, it is what it is. You know, people, you know, Sony, the big boys, they have enough money to beat you in court. And that's all that really matters to them sadly. But if it's just some other dude running around out there, you know, go over to his house, egg, throw eggs at it. I'm teasing. Don't do that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so those are good places to find it. Um, if you want a physical copy, you will either need to go to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Nice. Um, so it's on Barnes and Noble. That's nice. Yeah. There's, there's a couple different distributors that you can use that will sort of create a bigger outreach for you. So it, it is on Apple books. It's on Barnes and Noble. Yeah. I think it's on, uh, on target. I, I know that the distributor is making some changes to target. So I, I don't know if it'll leave there at some point, but, uh, then on Amazon, I think Kobo as well. It's, it's pretty much everywhere that you would want to look for. I wrote it, but a book a few years back that you can no longer find. What happened? Well, I self published and I was, because I was, there was a, there was a woman that wrote a bunch of, mis- a bunch of love novels, female porn novels. And she was going around pretending that she was this big author. And I'm like, Wait. So I looked at the publisher and I was like, hmm. And so I just, I wanted to publish just a book with, you know, with the same sentence over and over and over again for 250 pages. Cause they would let you do that. It's these self-published people, (laughs) but I actually put all my writings in there, but it's, I, I did it for a little while just because I got tired of her Ah, look how good I am. I got published. No, no, no. You paid them to print your book. <laughs> Just be honest about it. That's all I care about. So, so I've, I, it, so I know how hard it is because I, I actually wanted my book to go somewhere. I wanted to sell it. I called my pamphlet cause it was only like 85 pages, yeah. whatever. Uh, and you know, nobody picked it up. I couldn't get it anywhere. I do. I did. Li- I did get it listed on Amazon. By accident. <laughs> Just like uh, I wrote a song and I was a DJ at a radio station. So whenever the, I, I come across these things. I don't know how I do it. I, they were still doing all the ratings on paper. And so I wrote my song in to the Nielsen, whatever it is, a BMI, BMI. And BMI sent me a check for 65 cents. Cause you get paid when it gets radio play. Hey, that's funny. <laughs> that's hilarious. That is very funny. I didn't cash the check either. Cause I had felt that would, you know, 
that wouldn't, that's dishonest. But if they would have sent me a check for a million, I probably would have cashed it. But oh it's my like gosh. 65 cents. It's like, nah, you can keep it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I hope the book does well. And it's what it's, and, and there's nothing just so everybody knows there's nothing wrong with self publishing. I don't have a problem with it. I just had a problem with the one woman going around bragging that she was hot shit when she just paid them to publish it for, to print it for. Her. That's that was that was the impetus behind. I I can't stand a hypocrite. I, I know. I can't yeah, stand it's it's tough too, right? It's like um, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, the way that I approach this, right? I am I am actually self published myself. Um, the way I approach it is like I I don't care the the means by which. Yeah. The mission occurs. It's like, I'm, I'm not here to talk about, you know, even if I was published by a big five publisher, it's like, I, I'm not really here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the content itself uh, and figuring out ways to help people. Yeah. So it's like, if I self-publish and that's, and that's how I get my message out to people. Amazing. If, if it's some other route, that's great too. So At I the would end of the say day, it's, just, it's even you know, more, imp- it's even more important that if you're interested in this content, you're interested in his writings and his website looks cool. Buy his book because people, it's like, you know, I'm in the entertainment business and I make stuff and nobody buys it because it's drowned out. Right. And, and I get it. It's, it's cool, but there's not a publisher that's ever going to pick me up because I'm, I don't have any prior credits that are big enough for a big publisher to pick me up as a book. Even though I've written a few things, I actually have a novella. Uh, which is a small book. I can't write a whole book because I don't have the patience for it. But, uh, you know, it's it, it, the impetus becomes support the people who have ideas at the ground level because if you don't, then you're only hearing what a, a couple of dozen people at the top realms of these large corporations think you need to hear. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more and I appreciate the plug. Um very, you know, it's I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. I, I kind of take the same approach, right. Where it's like, you know, the, the business on main street where you, you know, you go get your, your dinner once in a while, the band that you listen to, you know, buy the merch, buy, go to, go to the tours, uh, buy, buy a CD if you have to, right. It's like, if, if we don't support the smaller people, um, that we enjoy, you know, getting their content from, uh, getting their products, whatever it yeah. is, those people might not be there anymore. Um, and that's not like, I'm not using that to sell myself. I'm no. just saying in general, I think it's, it's definitely important. Um, if and you yeah, again, it's just an honest breaking view of things. You're going to have to do it yourself because it gets so muddy down when you get into big corporations and it gets muddy down because like you were saying at the beginning, if you're trying to satisfy everyone, you're going to satisfy no one. And that's where we're at. So whoever's got the most voice, the biggest voice wins. And that's why we've got the fringes in the Republicans. We got the fringes in the fringes in the, in the, in the religious and we got the fringes and the liberals and we got the fringes the Democrats, we got the friend. That's why they're winning, and we're like, why is this not more moderate? Because that's an awful weird view to have, whether it's Christianity, or climate change, or uh, you know, Me Too movement, or whatever. The reason that they are gaining the traction that they are is because they're the loudest not because that's what everybody wants. So they can only go by what, who's the loudest. 
and they think this is the way it should be. And then so they sell that stuff to us when we don't actually want it 90% of the time. We want something else, but we don't get the little things, the things that we're actually interested in. It's like men as a demo. We don't have, nobody focuses on selling men stuff. And there's a reason for that because men don't buy. Men don't buy because we're tired of the bullshit and we don't want to hear it. We'll buy what we want and and then as little as we can get away with and go on. And that's how men work, you know? Yeah. And I, I guess it's, you know, kind of what you're getting at, right. Is like, we are voting with our dollars. And so it's like, if we want to see certain products, certain ideas bubble up to the top, we, we do need to support them again, not, not plugging myself with that. Just saying in general, right. It's like not plugging anything. It's just the way it is. If there's something you like that's out there, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, whether it's uh, you know, a, a sub down the street, something like that. It's the like, same as sharing on the internet. I mean, exactly. if you yes. like a podcast, if you like the way this person talks, share it with a note on it, you know, they'll just share it like a meme Yeah, and, and, or send it to somebody, email it to your buddy. Listen, look at this. This is awesome. I think this was really cool. I think you'd like it. And that's how the small guy gets to be the big guy. For sure. Yeah. The, the, uh, I forget, uh, there's some phrase I'm looking for, but it's like the, uh, it's like eventually, you you know, you go from the revolution, the revolutionist to the man at some point. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just interesting, but hopefully along that journey, people don't lose their way. Same as the old boss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of what it always ends up doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you talking to us and feel free to reach out anytime you want. And if you want me to be on your program uh, or Andrea to be on your program to completely embarrass you or myself, I can embarrass myself <laughs> easily. Uh, we would be glad to do it. Yes, we would be. <laughs> and uh, uh, so is there anything you want to leave us with? I usually end a lot of these podcasts just by kind of reiterating, right? It's we, we've touched upon these things throughout the conversation, but you know, if you are struggling with some something uh, on the mental health side, just know that you're not alone, right? Date the 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 clouds can part, things can get better. Uh, honestly, they they probably will. It might just not happen tomorrow. So it's like hold on to the fact that you know this too shall pass, and um, things definitely can get better. And if if there is, you know, something that I can help with or Paul can help with or Andrea can help with, please reach out to all of us. So. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm, Andrea works with CASA. Yes. Child advocate. Court appointed assistant advocates for children in foster care. Yeah. So she's the voice of the foster child of of the child in the situation, in the terrible situation they're usually in. Yes. And so no one else is speaking up for the child. She is. And, and we, can and will be able to deal with anything you throw at us and because we've probably experienced worse more than likely or have already experienced it through someone else and talk to someone like i said before make sure you talk to someone don't ever just just think you're alone absolutely yeah and and if it's like if we can't help we we might be able to pass on to somebody somebody who can can, right yeah absolutely so So, uh next the next episode, episode is it? Are these episodes, Andrea? I'd say so. Episodes? Yeah. It's episodic. Episodic means that we have a current theme, but we don't ever really have a theme. Our, <laughs> it's just a different conversation every week. The isn't it? theme is things I want to know. That's true, I suppose. Uh, our next uh, person that we're talking to is what was his name again? Oh my gosh, can't believe I forgot that. Um, he's an interesting, interesting cat. 
Uh, he was a New York City police officer, and we're going to talk about just exactly how real are these stupid-ass cop shows that we see every weekend, that we see all the time. Yes. You know, and um, we're also going to talk about forensics, and he's going to—he's offered to tell us the most craziest, absolutely insane thing that he had to witness on the New York City Police Department, the largest police department in the world. They have 80,000 cops. Did you know that, Andrea? No, but dang, that's a they lot 80, of cops. 80,000 police, badged policemen, I guess. 80,000, that's more than some armies. Like, wow. like Switzerland doesn't have an army that big. Well, Switzerland is small, so. Well, they don't have an army anyway, but that doesn't matter. All right, guys, I appreciate it. And thank you for listening to my program, to Andrea's program. If you have any questions, please send them to Paul G at paulgnewton.com. That's Paul G at paulgnewton.com. Yes, I'm a narcissist. I can't help it. Oh, no, you're not. I know. It's just, I already had the website. So I was like, you know what? We'll just do a podcast. We'll just start my website. So I don't want to spend any more money. I'm cheap. Can't help it. So go to my website. You can look at my photographs and stuff. I'm not trying to sell you anything. There's maybe an ad at the bottom of the page. So I'm not out here trying to sell you stuff. So just go to check out my photography. Let me know if you like it or not. I do movies. It's different stuff. Andrea, she's like, leave me alone. I'll talk to you, but I don't want you to know who I am. Is that I right? I don't know about that. I really, I'm, I'm a <laughs> nurse. I really don't have anything to sell. I'm just a mom with kids and... Always curious. I tried selling some really strange stuff from before, but then the law was like, no, you can't do that. Oh my gosh, stop. You what? have not. <laughs> All right. I guess that's it. So bye. Bye.